Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Oh What A Time, the history podcast that tries to decide if the past was as awful as it seems. I'm Ellis James. I'm Chris Skull. And I'm Tom Crane. And each week on this show we'll be looking at a brand new historical subject. And this week we're going to be discussing sport. From hippodrome racing in ancient Rome to Shrovetide football to the running of the bulls in Pamplona. Yes, indeed. This podcast is out every Monday. And thank you for your emails to hello at owatatime.com. Charlie Partington's been on. Hello, Charlie. With an episode suggestion. Great. Torture. We're going to get round to torture. That sounds like a laugh. (laughs) Is that entirely sure that's not a description of the podcast? That's just a review (laughs) from Charlie. (laughs) Absolute torture. (laughs) Please don't listen. Does Charlie uh, offer a reason? As to why it might have some uh, comic potential. Well, torture. It's not. It's not something that you people usually think of, is it? <laughs> so, sort of meat and drink to the comedy podcast community. Torture. <laughs> Fortunately, Charlie has provided his credentials as a, some sort of uh, you know educational authority. He is a PE and science teacher, um, and he has taught Year Eight history. He says that he would like to know more about methods of torture, and he has a particular favourite, that of Chinese water torture, originating in the 15th or 16th century in Italy, bizarrely, whereby cold water is slowly dripped onto the scalp, forehead or face of the victim for a prolonged period of time. The pattern of drops was irregular, causing anxiety as a person tries to anticipate the next drip, along with the jarring nature of the cold sensation caused by the water. Oh my I mean, it's goodness. not... I mean, I've been to the Tower London and seen the rack and all that stuff, which you know I'm sure we'll cover in a torture episode. A drip falling on your head at first, you think I could live with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I imagine over several hours slash days, you're going to go insane. The thing with Chinese water torture, I instinctively think, yeah, all right, I can, I can, I can handle drips. Um, but if it wasn't, if it didn't work, they wouldn't have carried on with it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so it must have got results, mustn't it? There are no Wikipedia articles for the torture methods that didn't work. Yeah, they're, they're actually quite, it was fine. <laughs> if Charlie knows of any other, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, hilarious method, methods of torture, then by all means, or if any of our other listeners know of any hilarious methods of torture, uh, send them in to hello at com, and we will, we'll consider them, but... 
I've got to be honest, it doesn't really jump out at me as a really, really hysterical topic. Yeah, I face some resistance trying to get this topic over the line, so listeners, please help. His aim, get in touch. All right, you horrible lot. Here's how you can stay in touch with the show. You can email us at hello at ohwhatatime.com and... You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Oh What A Time Pod. Now, clear off. This week, I'm going to be talking about hippodrome racing in ancient Rome and the riots, the mad fans that supported it. I am discussing ancient kinds of football, uh, the earliest incarnations of football, in particular, Shrove-type football. This week I am talking about the running of the bulls in Pamplona and how it has a history that predates the modern stag do. I thought we would begin with a quote from the English author and screenwriter Douglas Adams who says this. During this century, the 20th, we have for the first time been dominated by non-interactive forms of entertainment, cinema, radio, recorded music and television. Before they came along, all entertainment was interactive. Theatre, music, sport. The performers and audience were there together. And even a respectfully silent audience exerted a powerful shaping presence on the unfolding of whatever drama they were there for. I thought that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because they... You know, in the past, we were about to talk about historic sports. You had to be there, and often you were part of it. Yeah. It's such a different thing, isn't it? And crowds make a difference. Yeah. They really, really do. Like, like lockdown proved this. Football behind closed doors is rubbish. Do you want to hear something really lame on that, Ellis? I play football on a Tuesday evening, and uh, we had two people watching last week, and it made a real difference to me, to my experience <laughs> of the game. <laughs> How lame is that? And I like they, they were mates of mate. I knew who they were. It wasn't people who obviously came down because they'd heard there was a good game. They're not scouting you. I played I played on a Tuesday afternoon and there were players playing after us on the same pitch. So we were like one thirty to three thirty, they were three thirty to four thirty. So at twenty past, probably five or six people from the next game started watching. I don't think I've ever tried as hard in my life. <laughs> Because I got I got beaten, uh, uh, someone skinned me, and because they're young men, they were like sixteen or seventeen. They were like, "Oh, he's dead! He's dead! You're dead! You're dead! You're dead! He is dead!" And I thought, I can't let this happen again. I cannot let this happen again. Have you, have either of you in general, have either of you played any sort of historic sports? Because that's what we're talking about on today's episode. Because I actually, I actually have, I don't know if it is a historic sport per se, but at primary school, I was part of a, um, a country dancing troupe, which is technically a sport. It is a competition sport. I've done that. I've done country dancing, dancing in Welsh. Is it, how is it a sport? I, I, well, it's, it's a competition. There are competitions in the West Country. But yes, there are. I, I, I've entered into, with my, my troupe, uh, I've been, it's pretty cool. I've been uh, at the same time I was uh, a singer at Bath Abbey, Abbey Choir. It's a pretty cool period of my life. Uh, but we've we've been in competitions um, and uh, yeah, it didn't do very well. But they, yeah, it was it was a sporting thing. How did you do? Do you remember? Uh, we we didn't do great. I was the uh, my role was the fool. Do you know what the fool is? <laughs> I, 
This doesn't feel like something that happened in your lifetime. Why do you keep saying stuff that is clearly 500 years prior to you being born? I should mention I'm, I'm 700 years old. If anyone <laughs> yeah. that. No, the, so the, the, you have the, the kids who could dance, who were the country dancers, and you had the kid who couldn't dance, who was a fool. And the kid who was a fool was given a stick with bells on it. And the idea is you're basically the village idiot, for want of a better phrase. But I would, I would jump around with this, with this bell and whack it on the floor, um, kind of not dancing properly. And the, the other kids would dance around me properly. That's basically how it works. Your idea is you're supposed to be stupid and ridiculous in the middle. Yeah, yeah. It's so lame. Wow. That's incredible. You were the fool. This will tell me an awful lot about you, Tom. Did you volunteer to be the fool or were you chosen to be a fool? I was chosen to be the fool by our teacher. So your teacher looked at everyone in the class and said, it's got to be him. It did. <laughs> your teacher nailed it. <laughs> the cruelest thing, it was it was based on grades. That was the cruelest thing. <laughs> I want to ask a quick question about the fall because, like, obviously, the court of Henry VIII, the fall was an actual job, wasn't it? Yeah. And I've always thought, was it that? Would you have been that funny? Would a fool have been that funny around court? Isn't it just annoying? You know, were these fools that good? It's quite a status-based humour, isn't it? <laughs> Love this guy. Yeah. He is a fucking <laughs> fool. <laughs> But a lot, a lot of, of you know, that was the, the nature of society at that point. We really was sort of hierarchy and strata, wasn't it? I don't think it wasn't like stand-up. You weren't doing observational <laughs> about sort of banquets and stuff like that. Michael McIntyre just following you around, going what it was like to eat a big chicken leg. <laughs> if you went back to 1600 and started doing observational in the modern style, you'd be huge, wouldn't you? Can you imagine it? You'd have, you'd have everything to choose from. Talk about low-hanging fruit. <laughs> you could do the works. It would be a piece of piss. You would be massive. There is the risk, though. If it goes badly, you're going to be beheaded. That's the problem. That is the risk. Yeah. What's that Henry VIII about, eh? <laughs> Ever since he lost that joust. It's too many wives, if you ask me. A bit weird. <laughs> I hear he's getting married. How long until she's dead? Yeah. More. So today we're gonna we're gonna talk about old sport. That's what we look at. Sport in the past, stuff that's no longer around. Some stuff that still is actually, and see quite how horrific it was. I'm going to be talking about uh, chariot racing in ancient Rome, which and how mad the fans were. Basically, what a crazy thing that was. Um, what are you guys talking about? I'm going to be talking about Shrovetide football. Uh, and now, thanks to the magic of social media. Uh, this has become uh, known to a wider public, uh, thanks to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and it never fails to <laughs> to blow my mind. Yeah, because yeah, the I... violence is mind-boggling. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, and I'll be looking at running with the bulls in Pamplona. Um, but why don't we begin with you, Tom? Let's go back in time. Fire up the chariots. Let me take you back to ancient Rome and also ancient Greek and Byzantine society. So basically, this sport was called hippodrome racing, which is chariot racing. If you've seen gladiators, it's those chariots, often with a single horse or with four horses, uh, that whipped around these huge stadiums. Um, Often they had 60 chariots racing at one time 
in these races. Yeah, and crashes would sometimes include 40 chariots. There's records of 40 chariots having like a pile up. Uh, it's just unbelievably dangerous sport. You go round and round and round. Uh, and there, these stadiums would be full. The stadiums had up to 150,000 people watching at one time. That is incredible. Wow. Is that the sort of sport, let's start by saying, is that the sort of sport that interests you? It's kind of, it's very dangerous. There's a real chance of seeing death and a severe injury in a packed stadium. Is that the sort of thing you think in the moment you get behind? If there were 150,000 in there, I mean, that's, that's 60,000 people more than at Wembley. Also, I, I can imagine not everyone's going to have a great view. <laughs> not everyone's going to have a ticket, probably. <laughs> Touts are going to love it, aren't they? Um, it must have been incredible. And also, I can imagine that they would have been just gods in their society and people would have absolutely, you know, you'd have looked up to chariot racers. Um, I, I'm, I'm now going to sound like a very, very old person on Radio 4. They would have been the Harry Styles and members of One Direction of their day. <laughs> You're quite right. These guys were absolutely adored. Now, I'll take you through this, the madness that was charity racing. So there were four teams, which were the green team, the blue team, the red team and the white team. That makes it sound like primary school. (laughs) It really does. And they were simply named after the colours. There was no other reason for that. And the people, you would choose a team that you supported based on basically your favourite colour. Considering how violent it is, that is too childlike a way of organising those games, isn't it? When you consider the, 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 poten- the potential for death, well, you know, why do you like, why do you like them? Because they're green and I really suit green. <laughs> Greens of all kinds. The feelings people had towards these teams that they supported were sort of profound and really put them in the face of danger. So um, I'll take you through this, okay? So each team, depending on who you went with, uh, each team of chariot raters had basically a group of hooligan supporters. Ultras. Ultras. A quarter of the stadium. So think sort of toga with a Stone Island tag. It was real sort of... (laughs) All those CP company goggles. They were kind of... It was that real fanatical... um, and sort of angry fan base that would properly back whatever colour you liked. That was a thing. Um, these same people would also spend loads in the club shop. They had these little <laughs> statuettes what? of famous... Key rings. Yeah, it was really marketed. They had sta- statuettes of famous charioteers. like the, And also you could buy something called a curse tablet, which uh, you would pray to your gods to wreak havoc and death on the opposition. So you go to the shop, you buy one of these tablets and you would pray before the race that people would die on the other opposition, basically. And, and it, 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 yeah. The thing is, right, it sounds daft. Oh, and they were willing to die and blah, 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 because they loved those colours. All, now I, I'm a big sports fan, in particular football. I'm, you know, it, football and the teams I support, Swansea City and Wales, played an, an enormous part of my life, in my life. And so, you, you you are unable to criticise or poke fun at people for supporting the green team or the red team uh, because they're all, all of these tribal associations, when you look at them rationally, are slightly absurd. But they mean an awful lot. Absolutely. But the ones, the guys that were sort of the best charioteers, all this money sort of flooded through to them. And they, the amount of money they made, even by today's sporting standards, is, incre- is incredible. The best paid athlete um, in history, in all history, is this giant guy called Gaius Apuleius Diocles, who was born in 104 AD. He was a chariot racer. And during his career, he earned the equivalent of $15 billion. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
So he's blown he's blown Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods yeah. out of the water there. You wouldn't be able to spend all that money, would you? What do you do, especially at that time? What what is there to spend it on? Wine, more wine. <laughs> exactly. Please set up a charitable trust. <laughs> please please set up a foundation. <laughs> That is incredible. So I don't know if, they, if, if if it was the sort of situation where you'd have like a like a, a, a sandal deal or whatever, people would see the sandals that you're wearing and other people would want Adidas sandal deal. Exactly, a really good deal with Birkenstock or something. But yeah. I think it mainly came from your racing money, but that's what he made throughout um, his career. And, and these guys were like properly loved, so much so. Here's an example. There was one supporter who went to the funeral of a charity here called Felix, and was so overcome by grief, he committed suicide by throwing himself onto the guy's funeral pyre. So he was at the funeral, and it was just like, I can't Whoa. live if, if Felix is dying. And he threw himself onto the fire. That's That was one of the fans. There was so, so much behind them. That's too much, isn't wow. it? Calm down, mate. Yeah. Sort of thing you do at Gareth Bale's funeral is? <laughs> yeah, I've offered, yeah. I've, 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 my people have talked to his people. And I've, I've let them know that should they want should they want a really, really big gesture at Gareth Bale's funeral? I would do it for Bale or Ramsey, actually. Let's, let's, go, what, let's go down to what that, what would that gesture be? You've, you're at Gareth Bale's funeral, God forbid that happens, but let's say in six yeah. years' time, and you have to do something which is really going to show people how much you've cared. Uh, I think. I mean, a funeral pyre is preferable to like climbing into the coffin with him, isn't it? Yeah. I, as his coffin is lowered into the ground, uh, I will jump in, follow the coffin, and as I land on the coffin, I will detonate a hundred pounds of Semtex, and I'll take everyone with us. <laughs> because I will never forget Euro 2016. People gathered round. People gathered round, going, "What a fantastic tribute! What a, a, what a gesture! What a, he's he really that thought that through." Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the clip of the guy who gets buried with a Bluetooth speaker and has pre-recorded a message like, "Let me out! I'm still in here. Oh, What's going on?" Have you seen this God. clip? No. And the guy, like, so he's playing it in the funeral, and at first it's like, huh, huh, but then it's like, it just turns. You can tell it's a bit haunting for everyone. This guy's done it as a joke. Like, <laughs> like I'm still, I'm still in it. Let me out. What's it? What's he saying? I can't hear him. And everyone's like, <laughs> there's no way on earth I could find that funny. <laughs> You'd also have to open up and check, wouldn't you? Yeah, I know. I think it, it, it feels your, it's, it's your responsibility to check that that is the Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> That's the awful thing. Oh, because there's a chance it isn't. There's a chance that Granddad's still alive. Yeah, and I don't want to be the person with the uh, the crowbar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, to check. No, it's just a Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> we might as well take it out now. It's, it's worth fifty quid. You know, on the chariot racing, I've actually been to that bit in Rome where it all happened. I had a, I had a tour guide in Rome, and they showed me it was like big kind of field. And they were like, "This is where it all went down." And they said that be, you know be, you'd be able to get wine on the day and stuff like that. Basically, like, it sounded like Glastonbury. I was like, <laughs> I could, "This sounds amazing." So, and and also imagine it'd be so exciting to watch. It's basically like F one, but with yeah, it, even more danger and drama. It, it well, it was exciting, but it also had this real undercurrent of hatred. Um, so much so um, that the ancient writer Theophanes, who he described some of the chants that was sung during these matches. Uh, there was a famous one that the Blues used to sing at the Greens, which was uh, 
burn here, burn there, not a green anywhere. That was their big one. The idea of setting a light to the rival fans. And the Greens would uh, whistily sing back, set a light, set a light, not a blue in sight. Um, so the, the songs were all about burning your opposition fans alive in a pyre. <laughs> sort of, it was really quite unfriendly. Yeah. Ellis, if you were a, a Green supporter and like the top blue chariot racer got, fell off the chariot got his head <laughs> crushed and exploded... Are you going like you blue wingy? Do you think it would extend? Or would you? Or would you think? Oh, that's a bit sad. It's difficult to imagine cheering that with the same figure you would cheer as a last-minute winner or, or a penalty. You know, or the, or the final penalty in a shootout. But I suppose if you've been on the been on the wine all day, if I've yeah, if I've been, on it. and it's you know dehydrated, the sun's out. And there's 150,000 people doing it as well. It's it's a blessing that this was centuries before the big screen replays, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> That's the last thing you know is a slow-mo of someone losing their forehead. <laughs> ah, have that. However, um, you think it's bad. It all came to a head, and I'll, I'll tell you this one thing. This was the most extreme moment in chariot racing. It's a thing called the Nika Riot, which took place in 532 AD at the Great Hippodrome, which is the largest building in Constantinople, which is capable of seating 100,000 spectators. Any executive boxes? (laughs) (laughs) If you want a prawn sandwich or something. (laughs) This is the first occasion the Blues and the Greens had ever joined together, because they turned against their emperor, Justinian, who basically not pardoned uh, two condemned fans from both sides. So one blue and one green fan had been scheduled to be executed in the Hippodrome in front of everyone before a race. Then the gallows broke. People were already angry and then everyone went mad. So they started looting and burning the stadium. They destroyed large parts of it. It spilled out into the city. And by the end of the Nika riot, which started from this, this one um, uh, chariot race, according to John the Lydian, who's a, a writer from the time, uh, 50,000 people died. <laughs> that is insane, isn't it? No, I don't want to laugh at the idea of 50,000 people dying. Obviously, it's horrific. But it spilled out so badly from this one uh, moment, this one meeting, that 50,000 people died. It's just the numbers are so hard to get your head around and process. Also, you know how if you're if you run, say, a newsagent near a football ground... On the day of a match, if you've got if you sell beer, you'll sell out. You'll sell loads of crisps and chewing gum. You 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 know you'll sell newspapers. There must have been a shop next to that ground that holds a thousand hundred thousand people. As soon as it spilled out and fifty thousand were dead, I bet he looked at his stock and thought, I, I think there's only one way this is going to end up. And I think the next few hours are going to be very very difficult for me. I wish someone had invented shutters. <laughs> If anyone wants to loot my shop, I'm afraid I'm going to have to let them. <laughs> they had Roman blinds, though. I suppose they could, they could pull those across. <laughs> yeah. they did, that was famously had that then. But um, the uh, the effect of this, I don't know if you know this, the blues and greens were banned from competing in Europe for the next four years. Anyway. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> but this is what life was like. You would, There was a good chance you could get killed if you went to watch it. There's a good chance of people you're watching were going to get killed. And it was just utter mayhem. Uh, but the, for the people who um, were racing, there were billions on offer for them. It's a mad sport. And yeah, I just it, I, the mind boggles that this yeah. was. Um, but I also, you are right. I can see how it would have been exciting. 
Yeah, and I think if I could, if I had a time machine, this would be one of the places I'd like to go back and see, like the chariot racing, the 150, or the Colosseum. I'm so yeah. into all that. I'd love to have seen what it looked yeah. like. Yet again, the caveat I always say is that <laughs> I am a ghost that no one can see. <laughs> I am, I am an invisible ghost again. <laughs> Who has access to a yeah. 21st century toilet and my phone? And I've got a charger, and I'm a ghost, and no one can see me. But yeah, absolutely. Do you think ghosts? Use, do you think ghosts use the toilet? And <laughs> I assume. I assume that's something you don't have to deal with anymore yeah. if you're a ghost. I've never seen that in a, in a horror movie. <laughs> a ghost going, uh, closing a door, and going, "I'll be back to haunt you in just five minutes." <laughs> that's not part of uh, being a ghost, is it? Surely not. Have you got any toilet paper? Ghost toilet paper. <laughs> and, a, and a ghost newspaper? Or maybe a ghost novel? I'll go next. Right. What is it that unites the three of us? Good looks. Young, handsome men. Apart from the fact that we're so young and handsome. Generous lovers. What is it that you... And the fact that we're very generous lovers. Reading glasses. And the fact that we all, the three of us, wear reading glasses. Actually, quite a lot unites us. It's probably why we get on. But the the thing I I really wanted you to say is we all love the bloody beautiful game. (laughs) We all love bloody football. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody football. My true love. My true love. (laughs) My one true love. Football. (laughs) Yeah. So the three of us like football. Now, football, um, as we know it, was you know began to be codified in the 1860s, but a, a version of football has existed in England for centuries. And the thing I really want to talk about today, and it's um, I sent you a little video earlier on, uh, so I cannot wait to hear reactions to that, is Shrovetide football. So Shrovetide football or mob football. Uh, is a game that was introduced in England in the 11th century. So we've been playing this, you know, for for a thousand years uh, in in England. Despite its apparent popularity, between 1314 and 1667, football was banned on more than 30 occasions. So these bans show how authorities were unable to suppress the game, as it would have been superfluous to repeat them. The first ban in question was by the Mayor of London, who issued a proclamation on behalf of Edward II, for as much as there is great noise in the city caused by hustling over large balls from which many evils may arise, which God forbid, we command and forbid on behalf of the king on pain of imprisonment, such game to be used in the city in future. So you could go to prison for playing football at one point. (laughs) Is your love of football enough that you'd be willing to uh, serve time for it? Is? I'd die for it, mate. Would you, st- would you, st- you still I do would comedians football? If there was a risk, you'd do bird. <laughs> do bird. Well, when do they classify it as a game? You know, if you're kicking a bit of, I don't know, what would it even be then? Le- is it leather? Or is it just a human skull? At what point do they go, you're playing football? What's <laughs> I the play, line? I play football on a Sunday night and on a Tuesday afternoon. And if you told me that I couldn't do that, I'd go to fucking prison, mate. I'd do life. <laughs> and I'd play inside as well. They could put you in solitary and you'd, you'd, you'd smuggle a ball into solitary and you'd do keepy-uppy for 15 years and it wouldn't be a problem. I'd smuggle in a ball and another 21 men. <laughs> <laughs> and a referee. Another 22 men. And hundreds of oranges. <laughs> and a whistle. <laughs> and four stands. 
and 30,000 people. <laughs> and I'd also smuggle in program sellers, hot dog sellers, uh, the board for both clubs. Yeah. Yeah. A pub next door to the North Stand. <laughs> Chairman, one of which I liked, one of which I didn't like. Yeah, director of football. Exactly. Yeah, I'd... A whole youth team. <laughs> Commentary team, fanzines for, uh, you know, a sideways look at the club that maybe isn't sort of officially sanctioned. I'd smuggle them all in. How much better would the ending of Shawshank been if he'd thrown the chess pieces through the poster and seen an entire football stadium and community outside the prison wall? And the, and the, uh, all, yeah, the prison warden was like, oh, my God, he's got... <laughs> 21 other players, a referee, two, two chairmen, a board of directors, 30,000 fans, program sellers, hot dogs. What, what's he been doing for the last 30 years? That, that's where the smell of fried onions has been coming from all these years. <laughs> and urine and cigarettes. <laughs> you would, you'd face prison for it. You know that much. I, okay. Absolutely. Edward III banned it again in 1349 to stop it distracting men from practising their archery skills, which were needed for war, as well as its tendencies to distract men from their duties. There were also those who considered it too violent. Wow. <laughs> but but football football back then is it is nothing like we imagine it now, isn't it? It is just carnage. It's not like it's not it's not a pitch with two goals. It's it's not like that, is it? What what what, what was the game then? It's basically is it get one ball from one end to the other it, by any means necessary. Yes. So you'd have you'd have villages playing each other. Or it would be a village and it would be sort of the uppies versus the downies. So the sort of the, the, the top part of the video versus uh, of the um the top part of the village this is the bottom part of the village. And some of these games still exist. I mean, it is an absolutely e- extraordinary um, uh, video. It's, it's the Atherston ball game. So this happens uh, every pancake day. Uh, it's an annual event. And the violence is, it is absolutely breathtaking. It's worth describing what, what you're seeing in this video, though. So it, it isn't anything like football. It's just a, a mass of people um, who live in the same village, all of whom are punching each other in the face. And you, you can't see a ball. There's no, no idea where the ball is. It, it's like people are waiting on a packed train platform. It's that packed with people, and everyone's getting punched and kicked in the face. I watch the extended highlights, and you get these moments of pure violence, people getting punched in the face, and then children get given the ball, and they get to kick it a little bit further down the high street. And I find it so jarring, the scenes of brutality, that clearly look like something from a thousand years ago, but it's happening outside of William Hill. Yeah. <laughs> Which has it's been boarded, boarded up. up. Yes. Because they knew it was going to kick off. So these games are played by two teams uh, from neighbouring villages or towns. The goalpost of each team is at the centre of each village's square and the aim of each team is to pass the ball to the opponent's goalpost. I think the rules vary from you know village to village or from, from, from game to day, from game to game, because there's not very many of them left. So they're all, they've all got their own sort of regional idiosyncrasies. Players kick and carry the ball using their feet or hands, similar to contemporary rugby. It plays a part alongside feasts related to the annual circle of agricultural work, such as harvesting. Now, this is all well and good. And if you're interested in history, like the three of us are, fascinating to study. My issue is I don't want to get my sort of head kicked off my body outside Superdrug um, when harvest doesn't mean that much to me because I just go to shop in my local Budgeons or Tesco. So in England and Scotland, some old annual village games known as folk football still survive. Folk football matches... As I said, they feature huge scrums, which two parts of a given village compete during several hours to bring the ball to the goal. <laughs> several hours? And it's really, it's really, really hard. 
Hornby in 2008 counted nine dead players in folk football matches since 1800. Five were drowned, two had a heart attack, one died because of hypothermia, and the last one was impaled on a fence. Oh, that's... What a way to go. <laughs> How are you getting impaled? Impaled on a fence. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like a lost glove. Is it something you could see yourself being drawn into? Do you think if you lived in a village that played this game... Is it something you'd give a go? I think I've got too much of an instinct for self-preservation. Yeah, and I think it, it feels highly likely you're getting your nose broken. You know, who wants that? I don't yeah, know. I also just don't care enough. <laughs> I, I would find it so difficult to get beaten up outside cash converters because yeah. I'm trying to throw a sort of ceremonial leather ball into the in, in, into the middle of my village square. I would just be like... Can we not all go for a drink? Yeah. I also, I actually think you'd be quite good at it, Ellis, because you've got very strong lower half to your body. Nice low centre of gravity. And then what would happen? I'd get too low and suddenly I'd be at the bottom of a 300-man ruck. (laughs) (laughs) So... I'm here to talk about Running With The Bulls at Pamplona, the festival of San Fermin. Have we ever been on a stag do there? Have you ever done this? Has it ever come up? I, I've, I've definitely been, in my life, it's been talked about as a stag do destination, but thankfully I've never actually done it. No, I've got a lot of, a lot of my extended family are dairy farmers. So I have been in and around the bulls. In my time, <laughs> yeah, and I think they should be left alone. Yeah, is is that is, that re- I, I I cannot stress that enough. Would you do you think there should be a like just a particular part of the country or what, or the, the, the bulls in the United Kingdom where all the, the bulls are? Well, just let them get <laughs> on with they're it. Not, they're nowhere else. They're not, you know they're just we choose we choose one county. Yeah, and that's where all the bulls are put. And maybe put all the lions in there as well. Anything dangerous, yeah. just put it there. <laughs> Penamin. I just, I why wind a bull up? Half the time, it doesn't even need winding up. Well, I actually did something. I did something so stupid. My family did something stupid. We went to Ireland. I've got some family in Ireland, and I went to see like my mum's uncle or something like that. And he had a farm, and about three or four of us were wearing red jumpers. And we were for some <laughs> reason we entered the field where the bull was, and the bull charged for us. Yeah, we. I mean, I was about six. We had to dive over a wall. That's absolutely terrifying. But someone told me that this that's actually a bit of a myth that they go for red. But I was definitely charged by a bull when I was about six. I've heard that it's a myth as well, and that they're sort of colour blind, or or that they're not bothered by red. I think it was probably more bothered by the fact that there was suddenly a cockney in its field. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, absolutely. It was the accent. It was the Essex accent. Dressed like a chimney sweep with a red jumper on. Yeah, I, th- I think it was anti-English sentiment from an Irish bull. I think it was the fact you were wearing a red jumper. That's not an issue. I'm, um, I don't even don't like walking through a field of cows or just cattle. I really don't like that either. I'm that I'm that nervous of it's just the size of these things. It doesn't have to be a bull. Even cows freak me out. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't go to the running of the cows if it was in Palo. I wouldn't even risk that. <laughs> what kind of animal? What kind of animal would you do the running of? The running of the cat side watch. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a good question actually. What is the biggest animal in Pamplona, you'd be willing to run through the streets with the run, the running of the hamsters. I'd be scared of stepping on one. <laughs> the running of the small dogs that are kept in posh people's handbags. So I, yeah, I, I wouldn't do big dog. I wouldn't do geese. No, no, oh my absolutely god, no, geese. Do geese. No, the running of the great not. Danes. <laughs> great. 
off. Sheep. I would do sheep. I'd run with some sheep. That's fine. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't want to wind any... I just don't want to wind any animal up. And certainly... The, the idea of being gorged by a bull, because then you end up in hospital and you've had your liver ripped off or what, whatever mad injuries happen to you because you've wound up a bull and it's gorged you on its horns. And then your mum and dad are there and they're like, do you not wish you'd gone into IT? <laughs> Once the surgeon has sewed you up you, and is asking how this has happened, you're having to admit that it was it was your fault that you encouraged this. You ran, you travelled to this city to be chased by the bull, and now they're having to use hospital time. And it got you. And it got you. I like winding up big, sort of scary animals. Um, it's quite a rush, quite an adrenaline rush, but obviously a sort of high risk, high reward. Anyway, back to the bulls. Yeah, back to the bulls. Shinobi's been going on four hundred years, four hundred years, and it started. Because kids, uh, like, the bullfighting was only for the really rich. So the kids would run along with the bulls as they were on the way to the bull ring. And that's how it began 400 years the ago. Kids. Oh, good. Kids were mad 400 years ago. I won't even, I won't even let my daughter ride her bike in the garden on grass without wearing a cycling helmet. Yeah. The idea that I allow my kids to run alongside a bull for a laugh. <laughs> No. Parents 400 years ago did not give a shit, did they? I wouldn't let, genuinely, I wouldn't let my four-year-old watch a video of the running of the bulls in public. <laughs> and I mean that, for fear that he saw something horrific, let alone him actually be part of it. The route is 850 metres through mostly cobbled medieval streets. Happens every summer. Whenever I've thought, I've obviously I've thought about how I might, what my tactics would be. But I think you're pretty. I heard once that you can kind of, you can go and you can start at any point on that 850 meters. But basically, you're considered a bit of a coward if you only if you plonk yourself on the 849 meter. Exactly. <laughs> but which is exactly what I would do. Like, yeah, I'll take the booze from the locals. No, thank you. I'm not starting there. I'm not on the starting line. Thank you very much. Absolutely no chance. Here's, here's something that surprised me. So record, they've started keeping records of people who die in the, the running of the balls. They started that in 1910. Have a guess how many people have died since 1910. 25. T- eight people. Uh, about halfway between years. 16 people since 1910. 16 which people, yeah. Which feels to That's me... There's fewer, yes. So 16 people since 1917, I think you said, have died doing this. There's no way that would be that would that would happen here. Is well, well funny no. enough there was a, a bull run in England. Um the last one was the Stamford Bull Run which ran until 1839. It ran for 600 years but stopped in 1839. At the time it was finished it was described as an old-fashioned manly English sport and an ancient amusement but eventually it was considered illegal and disgraceful. And you know what how much these these the, the typical bulls that run the running of the balls, yeah. or they weigh about thirteen hundred pounds, and then the larger oh ones God. up to fifteen hundred pounds. And in the wow. I bit they use Iberian fighting bulls, and they're being chased by an angry car. <laughs> yeah, essentially, <laughs> these Iberian fighting bulls they use, they do not run in the face of danger; they attack. Known to be a oh, trait really? of the Iberian fighting bull. So, so what you're telling me is diplomacy is key. <laughs> George is better than World War. <laughs> it's it's so wildly dangerous. I'm also thinking about whether you'd enjoy watching it. Like we talked earlier about the joy of being a spectator at a sport. If you're one of the people leaning out of the window, because that's what it is. People live along this street. Uh, would you want to see it, or would it with the the potential horror of seeing your neighbour 
squished against the wall be too much for you. Oh, man. People, people living on those streets. Imagine you're doing a Zoom meeting. So what's all that background noise? Oh, it's the... Um, it's the running of the ball. It's a kind of it's a kind of coming of age thing. Uh, the screams you can hear are a, a bloke who lives two doors down being sort of, sort of he, he's had his kidneys spliced open by uh, by a ball. Anyway, uh, just looking at the figures for uh, Q one and two. As blood splatters up the window in the background, I've realised I, I forgot to move the car, which is worrying me a bit. <laughs> I think, in conclusion, what I've learned is I think it's actually this. The problem with this is it's mainly men, isn't it? Throughout history, come out with stupid shit, stupid things to kill themselves, basically in the name of entertainment. Toxic masculinity. It is toxic, isn't it? it Historic toxic masculinity. Sport has given me, in defence of sport, sport has given me some of the best memories, best experiences I've ever had, and all cultures in history have have had sports of some kind. It's actually very, very natural to, to play some sort of sport. There's not actually that much you can do. Hitting something with a bat, running, kicking it, catching it, throwing, like, like which is why that you know you sports have they have similarities to other sports and other cultures and things. And it's actually a very, very instinctive thing for humans to do to sort of invent sports. I would say running away from a bull is slightly different. Uh, yeah, I mean, not everyone. <laughs> Yeah. You could have been left in a room for a pen with a pen and paper for hundreds of years. You wouldn't have come up with that. Oh, I don't know. I reckon that's probably idea number three or four. Actually, I invent football first, rugby second, then cricket, running of the ball, tennis. So, should we conclude as to which of these crazy sports from the past, if we had to get into one of them, which we're going to get into? So, mine was uh, chariot racing uh, in the hundred fifty thousand seater stadiums where. Often the fans would murder one another. The riots would spill out into the streets, but it probably was a bit of a laugh. I wouldn't mind making fifteen billion pounds, though. Fifteen billion. You're not pounds, getting that in a game yeah. of Shrove Tide football, are you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, there we have it. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Oh, What a Time. We are back next week. Uh, of course, new episodes drop, as they say in the 21st century, uh, every Monday. If you enjoyed it, we sincerely hope you did, uh, please uh, leave us a review, because uh, not just to um, massage our egos, even though obviously that is very nice. Um, believe it or not, because of algorithms, it does help people find the podcast. So you're not just helping us. You're actually helping others, which I'm led to believe is is, is quite a satisfying thing to do. I, I've, I've I've heard, yeah, and also the, I, th- I think it's the key to happiness, from what I understand. Yeah. And also, if there, if there is a heaven, it seems like the sort of thing that would go in your favour. <laughs> I'm so glad we're finding fresh ways to beg and borrow five star reviews. <laughs> well, they mentioned that at the Pertly Gates. You didn't seem to leave any five star reviews on the podcast. You like. <laughs> How many hours did you spend listening to that? And you didn't even leave one? No, not one five-star review. As you see the clouds parting beneath your feet. What, an audio is your favourite <laughs> medium? Um, thank you so much for joining us, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week, I guess. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.